uh, let's uh, say the prayer of guidance, please. Lord, Lord open, open our, our hearts and minds by the, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed. We may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's scripture is John 15, 9 through 17. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. As a father who has loved me, so have, lo- so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abided in his love. I have said, to th- said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No other has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends. If you do, not, if you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you my friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And the point, and I appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. The word of God from the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. I want to share with you just the results of the uh, survey. We've been doing a survey the past few weeks, uh, different surveys. We call them fun polls. And uh, just to, uh, I come up with a question, just uh agonize over coming up with a question each week to ask and to get some responses. And your choices this week around the question, uh, when am I closest to God? When do I feel closest to God? And the options were when I'm in a worship service or when I am serving others or when I am alone in prayer and Bible study and when, when I am experiencing the beauty of creation. I didn't think about how interesting this question could be until I saw the results. Uh, when I am in a worship service, received one vote. One vote. And it was mine. Uh, When I am serving others, received four. When I am alone in prayer and Bible study, seven. And when I'm experiencing the beauty of creation, six. I'm going to keep reflecting on what all that means, that I was the only one who said I felt close to God in worship service because maybe we need to cancel worship and do, or find some other way to do it. I, I feel close here because, I, because the body of Christ uh, is here. The body of Christ is here. And to me, it may be a reflection, and this is not in any way I respect every person who answered, and actually I could have answered positively to each one of those also. But it may be a reflection of the individualistic society that we live in. That other people can be a distraction. 
rather than a help to us. And so it's something to think about. How do we as the body of Christ in this place, how do we begin to truly have a worship experience, a time together in communion where we feel God's presence in each other? And I've talked about that before in the sermon, how God is in each one of us. And so when we are here together, the presence of God must be very strong. So uh, uh, so I'm sorry, uh, out of the uh, what, 18 people, I was the only one who got the question correct. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, when I was a teenager, maybe about 13 years old, Washington senators picked up a, a pitcher named Horatio Pena. Does anybody recognize that name, Horatio Pena? Okay, we got a few. How did Horatio pitch? It was an unusual, I mean, people have done this. Stan Quisenberry of the Kansas City Royals uh, pitched that way up until about 45 years of age. Uh, it doesn't put the same wear and tear on your arm, but a submarine pitcher. Okay, so, uh, uh, you know, there are people who pitch... Directly over, there are people about three-quarters, there are people who are sidearm, but he actually came under with the ball like this, and they call that submarine pitching. I was so impressed with Horatio, and, and when you're coming in that direction, it changes for the batter the perspective of the pitch. Uh, the ball is coming from a very different place than from up here, so they have to adjust to that. And also, you can put a different spin on that, on that ball coming from down here. So I decided if I wanted to be a major league pitcher, that was how I was going to have pitch. So I went down to the ball field at the elementary school just down at the end of our street. I'll go down there with my friends, and, and uh, we would get out there and imitate different pitchers. And mine was always Horatio Pena coming, doing that sidearm. I got pretty good at it, um, tried out for the Senators, and uh, uh, they took me. I pitched them to the World Series in 1968, and it was a wonderful time. <laughs> That was a dream I had. Okay, that's those dreams you have. So, uh, and, and then the other thing uh, that I would do as a kid, I think every, every child has perhaps done, maybe not every child, but many children have done this at some point. You imitate a batter. And you get up there, and maybe he does this three times, so you're going to do it three times. Maybe he takes the bat, and he's cleaning the bottoms of his cleats off. Uh, maybe he tends to hold it very exaggerated back here. Not just back like this, but way like this, maybe back here, wherever he starts. But you, get, you, you start to pick that up on, on batters and players, their techniques, and you start to imitate them. And this isn't a sermon on imitation per se, but I wanted to bring that up right off because when we talk about doing something the way Jesus did it, very often the first thing we think of is imitation. I'm, if Jesus moves right, I'm going to move right. If uh, Jesus washed people's feet, then I need to wash people's feet. And that, that is the first level that we're at in terms of loving the way Jesus loved, to try to imitate him, to go to the, uh, the parables such as the prodigal son and to have that love of the father for the son, to realize that it was all relationship. The, the son didn't say, I have a father, and when I go back, I'm going to guilt him into giving me everything that I have lost. But instead, he said, I have a father. I have a father, and I don't care if he treats me as a slave. In fact, that's going to be my offer. Lord, uh, Father, I will come back, and I will be your servant, not your son anymore, your servant. Didn't expect the grace his dad gave him. And then, and then the dad is over here, and all he's thinking about is, I have a son. 
He's not thinking about the way the son has lived. He's not thinking about how he should punish his son. But I have a son. And I think that that tells us something right there about how Jesus loved. It was about relationship. And that's how God can look down upon us, rebellious as we are. And he can say, I have children. And I love them. I offer them grace. So we can look at these stories or the Good Samaritan and and other stories and and pick up on Jesus' extreme love. One of the questions that might arise is, why in the world would we want to love the Jesus way? Because the love of Jesus is tough. It's hard. In fact, I would say for, for human beings, it's impossible to love the way Jesus lived. Apart from Jesus. And that's where I'm going to be going this morning is if we're going to love the way Jesus uh, loved or if we're going to do anything in the manner of Jesus, we can certainly imitate his actions. But if our hearts and spirits are going to be into it, we must also have a connection to Jesus. A non-believer could imitate Jesus' love. But we know it's in faith, we know it's through the Holy Spirit that that love begins to become something that is divine and godly and mysterious and beyond our abilities. Uh, The other thing, and you know, many times on Communion Sundays, what they call the sermon is a meditation. And uh, I've certainly been meditating on this all week. And one of the things I meditated on was, was the way we use love, that word, in our culture. In America, I, I thought about the names of songs as an illustration of this. All You Need Is Love, the Beatles. Sunshine of Your Love, Eric Clapton. Can't Help Falling in Love, Elvis Presley and a few other artists. Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Queen. Somebody to Love, Queen. And Bon Jovi, You Give Love a Bad Name. I've been told that a couple of times. Love in our culture and the way we use it is perhaps the most misused, abused, misunderstood word. Uh, Generally, I say, you know, I love these pews. I just love the way they look. And what we're saying is I love the way it makes me feel at some level. I love somebody because they make me feel good about myself. I love somebody because when I associate with them, I feel better than I do any other time. And people look at me and say, well, they must be okay if they associate with this person. So I love this person because of what they do for for me. We use love in all sorts of ways. And then when we're talking about the love between people, very often often it's still sort of a narcissistic love. You know, people want to go out very often they will fall in love and and maybe they're not thinking about it, maybe it's not intentional, but you tend to fall in love with people who, again, make you feel good. And so at that point, it's not a sacrificial love, it's not a servant's love. It's not a love that says, I'm going to love this person despite everything about them. I'm going to love them because they're bringing something into my life that I need. And generally, that's the way we look at romantic love or any kind of love. If, if we're honest with ourselves, that's the sort of uh, uh, way we look at love, and yet that is not the Jesus love. And so we're going to look at this a little bit closer in the context of this scripture out of John 15 that we heard a minute ago. 
How do we love as Jesus loved? Is it possible? Where would the strength for that kind of love come from? And let's be clear, when we're talking about the love of Jesus, what is the greatest act of love that Jesus ever did? This is how we know what love is, the Bible tells us. Jesus gave himself for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't say, line up, prove yourself to me, prove your worthiness, prove your goodness to me, and then I will die for you. But while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's an amazing thing. I don't know how many people in this world, if we were to take a poll, a fun poll of that, would you die for someone, even if they were your enemy? Would you die for someone, even if they had abused you? Would you die for that person? That's what Jesus did. And so it, sometimes I thought this week, I'm not sure I want to love the Jesus way. I'm not sure I want to love that way. Because it demands so much. And it would take such a change in my life and in my heart to be able to love to that extent. I may say I'd be willing to die for everyone, but would I die for everyone regardless of how they treated me? I mean, on a day-to-day basis, many of our decisions on who to help are based upon judgments that we make, aren't they? And very often, the judgments involve, that's not the kind of person I want to help. Or I'm suspicious of that person. Or that person hasn't proven to me that they're worthy of our love. And we make those decisions almost every day in the church office. Someone calls and needs help. And I sit there, and I think, well, we helped this person two months ago. And again, they're behind on the electric bill. And we have guidelines and rules around this. And I'm not sure how all that fits into the love of Jesus. I'm not sure exactly how I'm to respond to that. So this is mystery, folks. If we get into it, it's really mystery. And the one thing I came away with was that I'm not the only one that thinks it's mystery. Uh, Fanny Crosby talked about when Jesus comes, perfect submission, all is at rest. Perfect submission, have you ever thought about that phrase? In regard to the love of Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Fanny Crosby says when she sees Jesus, at that time there will be perfect submission. Did you ever think of love as submission? Did you ever think of love as obedience? Did you ever think that when you disobey someone, you cannot be in love with them? That love requires obedience and submission. Uh, We talked about this in our series on Ephesians when we got to chapter 5. And and, and I said, you know, very often people, the line, wives submit to your husbands, but they forget that just, just before that, Paul says... Everybody submit to everybody. And then he requires of the husband that he love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave his very life for, for that church. And so the mystery of all this, what perfect submission would mean until I am in perfect submission to God, according to Fanny Crosby, then all is not at rest. I will never be at rest until I come to that point of perfect submission filled with his goodness and lost in his love. And then Charles Wesley wrote, And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? 
For me who him to death pursued. For me who pursued him to death. You know, Charles then writes these two words. Amazing love. We're, We're all very familiar with the song Amazing Grace. But Charles saw what God had done for him and Jesus Christ through that cross as amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? And until we're willing to ask these kind of questions and humble ourselves before God, I don't think we can begin to understand what Jesus meant by love. There was a song that uh, a guy used to sing in a church that I went to. We met in a hotel basement in, um, up in Springfield, Virginia. And uh, Bob Satori was his name. And he, he loved this song, and, and he had a beautiful voice. And it said, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And it says, could we with ink, ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. As I thought about these things this week, I thought, what a pompous thing it is to, to say that we can love the Jesus way. I saw a pride in that, that I might attain to that through imitating Christ. Because it's not just imitation. It's Christ himself. It's an eternal God with an eternal love that is beyond my ability to even begin uh, to understand in any sense of that word. And so uh, we go to our scripture for today. And as we go there, I realize that Jesus was sharing with us a gift in this illustration. He talks about the vine. That he is the true vine. You know in the Old Testament there's a few places in the Old Testament where Isaiah and Jeremiah talk about God has planted a vineyard. And that vineyard is Israel. And he planted a good vine there. But over the years they had allowed other vines to come in. Wild vines that took over the vineyard. And pretty soon the vineyard was not producing the fruit that God had intended. And so God said, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy that vineyard because it has lost its purpose. Now Jesus comes, and for the first time in the Bible, we're talking about the vineyard or the vine in a very positive way. And he says that I am the vine, I'm the true vine, and you are the branches. I don't know if we have anybody here who has their own vineyard, and I don't know a whole lot about grapevines, but I do know this. I know they have to be pruned in order for the fruit to produce a good crop. I know that once they are pruned, that those branches 
aren't good for much. I mean, I, I, I know people sometimes take and do artsy things with grapevines, right? But I think the branches themselves, there's not a whole lot. You, you, you just throw them into the fire, you burn them. That's what Jesus says. Unless a branch off of him, the true vine, produces fruit, it will be pruned away and destroyed. Because the vineyard depends upon the good branches to spread. For the kingdom to spread, it takes people who are willing in their connection to Jesus Christ to produce. And I realized in that that the secret to loving Jesus, the, loving the Jesus way or doing anything the Jesus way is our connection into Jesus Christ. That it's not simply a thing of the mind or even of the emotions of the heart. But it's a mysterious connection that comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into us. Jesus in this same section of scripture says, I'm going to send a comforter to you. He's sending the Holy Spirit into us, that we may be taught by the Holy Spirit, that we might be comforted by the Holy Spirit, that we may receive spiritual healing by the Holy Spirit. But that only happens when we're connected to Jesus Christ. And so that connection is where our concern should be, not on imitating actions of Jesus but first being connected to Jesus. And then our actions will flow out of that. And believe me, in in this scripture and in other passages of, of scripture all through the Bible, while we talk about love as an emotion, the Bible talks about love as a decision to obey God. And when we love other people, we submit to them and to their needs. It's a very different thing. And so if we are in submission to God and if we are connected to Jesus Christ and if his spirit abides in us, then we will produce fruit. And that fruit will be reflected in actions of love. And so that, that is the, really the totality of where I came this week was that idea that if we're going to love the Jesus way, it's not simply a matter of going through and looking at how Jesus loved, but it's also a matter of our hearts being captured by Jesus. Galatians, in Galatians, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's that Christ living in you. That's where the love is going to flow through. And so I thought, then what do I tell you this morning as I close? What do I, what do I tell you about how do you begin to love the Jesus way? How do you come to that point of connection? Many people give up. I know that there are many people who come to church who, who seldom pray, if ever. And when they pray, it, it might just be a quick, help me through this sort of prayer, or, or Lord, I, 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 I need something prayer. But I would tell you this, and I think it's this simple. The simplest prayers are the best prayers, and the most powerful prayers. You don't need to have, uh, to be fluent in prayerology. You don't have to uh, uh, be a person who's trying to impress God with your words. You don't have to be somebody who's trying to somehow in one prayer cover everything. But here's a couple of prayers I have prayed throughout my life. One is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Over and over and over. If you can't express anything else to God, that acknowledges that God is the merciful one and that we are the sinners in need of that mercy. And it's when we humble ourselves before God and recognize that, 
that we can begin to love the Jesus way because we begin to understand what God's love means and we begin to see that we, the sinners, received his mercy, that merciful love that he gave to us through Jesus Christ. There are some other prayers that I'll say quite often are, uh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, the prayer of the thief on the cross. The simplest, easiest prayers. And then there's the Lord's Prayer. But I would encourage everybody, no matter where you are in your spiritual life, and especially if somehow you feel like you have lost that connection to Jesus, to begin by praying these very simple prayers. Begin to speak with Jesus. Begin to tell him that you realize that you can't love as Jesus loved. But if he and his mercy would allow you to occasionally, occasionally scratch the surface of his love in your relationship with others, then you would praise him forever. It's a daily battle to love as Jesus loved. And it's impossible for us as human beings to do it without the connection to Jesus Christ. I pray this morning as we come to the Lord's Supper that we do not see this simply as a repetitive action that we do because somehow the church has figured out that this is something we have to do once a month or once a week or every day. But that what's happening here is Jesus Christ, the true vine, is offering us the fruit of the vine to remind us of the love of God that he should send his son to die on that cross for us. And and, and we say that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we remember him. But we also represent him to the world. We send a message to the world. This is where our faith is. And this is where we believe true love begins, in the sacrifice of Christ on that cross. Well, let's go forth in the love and the peace of Jesus Christ and know that when we have that love and that peace, there is an abiding joy that we cannot get any other way. Go and enjoy this weekend, but above all, enjoy your time with Christ. And amen.